Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. You know, some, some time ago, in fact, I think it was 11 years to be precise, uh, I went through a tremendously difficult time. In, it seemed in every area of my life, everywhere I turned, there was difficulty. Anybody ever been in that place? Whether you turn to the north, south, east or west, difficulty, trials, tribulations await you at every turn. And you, it's so easy, you can despair in moments like that. And this was a very, very unique time. And it's not a time that I would ever choose or nor would I ever um, advertise you you, you know, you look for, but these will find you. And in this time, I realized that God was bringing, there was a clear time in this church when it was called Bethel Christian Center then. And I realized that God was leading, God had been leading a church out of Israel, sorry, out of Egypt for many, many years. Through the history of the Bethel Christian Center, God had led them out of Egypt but as always, the problem is getting Egypt out of the people. Yes, the people preferred garlic and onions and pizzas and whatever it was they were selling down in, in Egypt. The people loved it and they tuned their hearts into that kind of frequency life. Yeah, and God hated what was in Egypt. That's why he delivered them out of it. And I realized at that time, God was trying to take our church on a whole new journey. But it was very, very difficult because people were resisting it. And when people resist things, they get ugly. They really do. How many of you know, not everybody embraces change. Whether change is good for them in the long term, they don't see the long term. They see the now, the immediate. In fact, if you go into many bookstores, you'll, you'll see a lot of books on change management. Because change is a very difficult thing to, take, uh, to grasp hold of and understand. Especially when it's forced upon you. When you're leading change, it's different. But when change is forced upon you, it's very, very difficult. And I saw the church was in a time where we were fighting for the chance to change. Does that make sense? Some of the people in the church at the time resisted the change. And the leadership was not all together in that change. But I knew the destiny of the church decided on the next change. If we didn't get off the road we were on, we were finished. And to get off that road takes an, an amazing amount of strength to convince people. Well, you don't, you, I never did convince the people. Those who left, left. Those who stayed, stayed. And those who stayed, stayed for all multiple reasons. You know, some people don't leave because they're just happy being here. Whatever goes on, this is their church. For others, they have a sense of destiny. And I remember going through this particular time when it was so horrendous that it seemed whatever point I turned at, there was a fight. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go to church anymore. Has anybody ever been there? I don't want to go to church anymore. And I remember specifically stood in the, in the annex one morning when we used to do the tea and toast. Some of you may remember that. And it was almost, it was, it was a, a very supernatural moment I was having. It's like I could hear the cries of the people. Just like Moses did when he was in Israel. And I thought to myself, how in God's name am I ever going to silence these critics? And then what happened after that? Within six week period, both my mother and my father died. Well, losing one parent is bad enough. 
But losing two in a six-week period is an amazing amount of stress upon one's life. So now you're not only grieving about your parents, you're not only grieving about the situation, but every turn you are fighting. And I remember once being, I remember being in France in this place called Levignac de Guin. See, that's the best French you're going to get this morning. Levignac de Guin. And I'm sat outside my, my place and I had my folder and I had a lot of notes in it. But I didn't realize I had a prophetic word that had been spoken to me by Clay Nash many years before. So just like I read to you before, for 40 days, and he spoke to them and they waited until that word had to be proved. And I opens this, this uh, I take this note out and it kind of falls out and I read it. And it was the prophetic word that I'd received some time before. And as I read the prophetic word, obviously you're in an emotional state. So you begin to fill up. And men cry, you know, as men cry, it's okay to cry in France because the sun's on your back. They all cry in France anyway, so it doesn't matter. And I remember as I was, as I was crying, I heard the word come to me so clear from heaven. He said, today it finishes. That gave me so much strength to rise up and to go back home to face another day. But one of the things that really struck me, the lesson I learned, the reason why I'm telling you this, is this. I remember many, 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 many times standing at the graves of those people who have passed. And those people are waiting to hear words of encouragement from me. And when you ever, you know, conduct a funeral... Your words, some people don't hear your words, some people do. Because grief, they, they're in a bubble. They don't hear anything. But I remember stood round and I'm thinking, Lord, for years I have stood round graves telling people that you are close to the brokenhearted. And you have, you, you know, I believe it, but why is it I can't feel you at this time? Why is it I don't feel you in my moment of you know, uh, darkness. I knew he was there, but I couldn't feel him. Yeah? And then, time went by, a couple of months went by, and then one day I turned around, and it was a God moment. I turned around, and I, it, have you ever drove across the city and turned around and think, how the hell did I get here? You worked on automatic pilot, yeah? You stopped at the lights, you changed gear at the right time, you dodged the old lady with a, with a basket, you did everything. You did it by the subconscious, have you ever done that? It's not a great way to drive, but when it when that does happen, it takes over. It's amazing. Us men can multitask, ladies. We proved it. Amen. So I remember getting up one Sunday morning. And I remember thinking to myself, "How have I got here?" And I heard the word of God say to me, "It's my sustaining grace." When you never felt me, I was there, and I thought. At that time, I learned a whole new dimension about grace that I'd never, ever, ever previously heard about or experienced. A grace that keeps you. A grace that sustains you. A grace that gets you through. A grace that takes you beyond. A grace that rises you up. Or raises you up, I should say. That kind of grace is, I'm telling you this morning, it is real. I didn't think it at the time. Because there's something about the human soul. I'm going to help someone. I want to say this. There's something about the human soul that it must grieve. It has to grieve. 
Because the inside your soul is a switch. I learned this only a couple of months ago. Inside your soul is a switch. And when you cry, listen to this. When I'm going off the track a little bit here, but I feel it's necessary to say it. When you're young, your father says to you, get up, stop being mad. Does he not? To the boys now I'm talking about. For girls, you always seem to have an opportunity to cry. It's socially, it's acceptable for the lady to cry. You may not want to cry, but it's socially acceptable for the lady to cry. But for men, we've got to keep it inside. Now, as a young boy, we can cry. And then there comes a point when you've got, you can't cry anymore. Because it's not socially acceptable. And I remember the day, and this is so strange... I remember falling on the floor when in times past I previously cry. I remember the time, this time when I fell, I realized it just hurt like hell. And you rub it and you go, ah, flipping it, ah, ah, but you didn't cry. And somehow you'd learn to switch off that tears and go into a different kind of emotion. That's why some people swear. That's why some people throw things. Hit things rather than cry. Well, you're not, I'm not recommending you cry every time something goes wrong, by the way. But there's something about a man that when he bottles it up. And there are times, you see, your father said, don't be a big girl. So he's now he's liking us to you. Don't be a big girl. Stop crying. But there has to be a place and a time for a man to cry. It's absolutely right that a man stops crying at a certain age. It's absolutely right. But it's also... Not the full truth that men can't cry. Men have got to learn to cry. Men must find a place to cry. True? But they must cry. Because inside, every one of us, there is a switch, an emotional switch. Now when you cry, and you've cried and you've cried, there's something inside your soul that says, okay, you've done enough now. The waterworks is empty. There's no more water left. Anybody felt like that? But when, when you grieve, the switch says, okay, you're emptied now. You've emptied, there's no more water. And subconsciously, you start to get stronger and stronger as each day goes by. Because now you've emptied everything. You poured everything out. Yes? So now God can fill in and fill up. And it's something that we have to learn. And there's a, there's a, there is a sustainable grace in that period. Grace does not take away tears. Grace does not take away pain. Grace does not take away um, fear. Peace and hope take away fear. But grace gets you through. Grace protects you. Grace covers you. Grace lifts you up. When the hounds of hell want to see an opportunity and smell the blood upon you, grace covers you. I was at my most vulnerable point. I was at my most vulnerable point, and I don't think Carol's ever seen me so down as I was in that period. But every Sunday I had to try and put a nice cheesy smile on for you all. Why? Because now it's my responsibility. But it wasn't where, it was the last place I wanted to be. Yeah? But you have to do it, just like you have to go to work. I had to go to work. A minister. I had to learn to suck it up. I couldn't hide. I could hide five days a week, six days a week, but on a Sunday, you've got to, here's Johnny, he's got to look smart. And I realized that in the midst of all that, I wasn't trying to be pretend. I was just trying to keep myself together. And as I was trying to keep myself together, God protected me. And now the wolves could smell blood. But God had to protect me from the wolves. Because when you're at your, when you're at your weakest point, it, you know, there's no resistance left. And I could have turned around and said, you know, uh, I didn't want to fight because I always knew destiny was at heart. And God knows as my witness 
All the way through that, the only concern I had was for the destiny of the church. That was the only, that was the only thing. So when you fight for destiny, God's always got your back. When you make a decision for the kingdom, God's always got your back. And I learned that this grace, and then I wrote a song about it. And some of you may remember that song. And um, it was about the grace, and it just came out straight. I said, Lord, I want to write a song about this experience. And God gave me the words for a song, and we began to sing it. And the church, and for, for months and months as I sang it, I was always emotional. Some people would have the finger up their nose, in the pocket, singing it. But for me, it was emotional. And why? Because you need a testimony. You need a voice. Something has to speak about what you're going through and how you come to grips with what you're going through and how you overcame what you went through. Everybody needs a testimony, a song. Song for me is everything. I'll sing all day long. Why? Because it's just my mechanism of releasing what's in my heart. Yeah? So the word sustaining grace, listen to this. The word sustaining means to withstand to sustain under great provocation, to maintain for a long period. To support, like you would support a broken arm or a leg that's in pain. You sustain it, do you not? To keep up the vitality of your courage. To establish and confirm the truth. That's what the grace does. That's what sustainable grace does. It withstands. It sustains under great provocation. It maintains for a long period of time. For me, it seemed like forever. To support, it supported me. When I didn't know the grandstands of heaven were cheering for me, it was. It was. I felt like my arm was broken or my leg was broken. I've had a broken leg. I know the pain that a broken leg brings when I've been playing football. The pain is excruciating. You, you go into a sweat, shock hits you, and then you just, well, it's unbearable. And that's how pain can feel. But something has to, something has to overshadow us, something has to encapsulate, lift us up, something has to be all encompassing, all, I can't think of the word for it. I'm searching for the word. Something has to be able to lift us up and, and, and uh, cover the whole thing. And that's when we sing sometimes, maybe if I say it like this, and I get lifted up by eagle's wings. Well, there's no eagle lift me up. It's the everlasting arms of Christ. It picks me up. And, and when you're in the palm of his hand, that's the safest place. Yes. And this place is real, church. It's very real. But it's hard. It's hard. And I didn't choose it. It chose me. Life was going on. To lose your mother and father is life. He did knock on my door and tell me. It did with my mother, I suppose, because my mother had been ill. So we always knew that day would come. It's how it comes. But with my father, it was almost like left field. Left field. <laughs> Came out of left field. We didn't expect it. So when things happen, it's how we respond. And how we go through the process of grieving and we, will we allow ourselves to grieve? Will we find a place? See, I'm a great believer that you need to find a place to think your thoughts. That's why some people go for a ride in the country. That's why some people listen to music. That's why some people find their idyllic location. Why? You need a place to think your thoughts. Then you need a place to land your thoughts. 
Amen. And you need a place for, you need a safe environment for your thoughts to be accepted as opposed to be ridiculed. True? Because we've all got crazy thoughts. Have we not? So we need a place. And a man or a woman needs a place to cry and to grieve. Now we always say go to God, but where you choose to do that, whether it's on a mountaintop or it's in the valleys, who cares? You need a place. But these places are very, very real. So when we read in the scripture of sustaining grace, it's almost like we feel it's for them, but never for us. They don't know what we're going through. Oh, and we don't know what they went through. And we read it now as like it's a history book. And we read it like, well, okay, he went through pain. And we gloss over the pages of pain. And we don't connect with another man's pain. Because it's our connection with another man's pain that makes this grace real. Because if it can happen for David, and it can happen for me, and it can happen for Mel, it becomes real. Because now we all share a common testimony. Now, the same Christ that met him on his, on, his, on his personal journey and met her on a personal journey has met me on my personal journey. He gives us strength. True? Different, a different situation, but nevertheless, God came through in every situation. So when we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, He says, to keep me from being, becoming conceited because of this surpassing great revelation that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I felt at that time the church was tormenting me. I thought that these people, it's dead easy to read that scripture and see, are you the messenger of Satan? Are you, are you demonic? Seeing people as demonic. No, no, no. Flesh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But spiritual powers manipulate the situation. They work on the back of situations. They see what your heart is like and then they move on the back of it. So it looks like in the natural realm that's you what's doing it. True? And spiritual powers work on the back. They seize their opportunity. So he says, there was given a messenger, a thorn in the flesh to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Believe me, I pleaded with the Lord many, many times. To take it away from me. Oh God, take death away from me. Take these people away from me, Lord. Just give me the church that you want. God says, hey, Tony, I'm doing something here. If I just remove all your enemies or all your obstacles or all your trials, how will you ever grow? Some battles choose you. You choose some battles. It's the fact of life. None of, us ain't going, none of us like going through a battle. Do we not? If you do, then it's trouble. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Whose weakness? In weakness. It's made, when I was weak, then I became strong. Why did I become strong? Because of what was over me. Not because of what I felt. Because I felt nothing. I felt empty. I felt, to be truthful, abandoned. Maybe you felt like this. And it's amazing how you have to see, the, the thing is this. Church, hear this, what I'm saying now. My trial is no greater than your trial. Because each one is producing a fruit. 
consistent with our own destiny and purpose. Right. But when the leader of the house gets taken out, who's there to encourage the rest of the sheep? So there comes a point where destiny is at stake. Your destiny, every time you're going through that valley of Baca and you're ready to quit, your destiny is at stake. Because you don't know, I, I, when I fast forward my life now to this day, you're here. I look at what, where we are now, where God has brought us. If I'd have abandoned my hope at that point in time, you could have never come here. Because the declarations that have been made and the prophetic journey that we've been on has opened the door. That frequency went out and you found it. And now it's become home to you. Now it's become a source of strength to you. But before that day could ever happen, somebody has to go through some stuff. Before you can have children, you have to learn to live with your husband or your wife. You have to go through some stuff before the better days can come. The joy and the fun and the seasons in the sun. But your destiny, every time you refuse to listen to the Holy Ghost, every time you choose to, that's why when God spoke to us this morning, but hold on, every time you refuse to let go of God's word, you put your destiny back. And all those who's going to come through your life, you just don't know who's going to come through your life. You are an entrance point. And every time you say, no, 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 it woe is me. And, and, and there's a lot of justification for saying, woe is me. Because sometimes you get so overwhelming, you have no other words. Why did you pick me, Lord? If you love me, why did you go? Why, did, why have you let this happen to me? Anybody been there? Is there a ping in here this morning? And when you stood there at the grave and hope is lost. Something's got to replace what's lost. Something, not something, someone has to come deep inside your heart because you will bury yourself with what's in the grave. And then the grave will, be, will bury you. And it's hard, it's hard. When you're saying goodbye to your mum and dad, the people who gave birth to you and raised you, it's hard. Or anyone you love, it's hard. God has to do something in our hearts. Because if he doesn't, we're finished. And this sustaining grace is available. I'm not special. I'm not unique. I'm nothing different than you. God is able to speak to you just like he spoke to me. But your destiny, you have to have a sense of your own destiny. If you have no sense of your own destiny, right, then how will you fight for anything? Seriously, if you have no sense or understanding of your uniqueness on planet Earth, why will you ever fight for it? If you see yourself as dirt, if you see yourself as nothing, why will you ever stand up and say, I'm, I'm the opposite? Something has to be fixed inside you what says, you know, you're better than this. I called you for something different. It might feel like Egypt. It might smell like Egypt. But I called you for the promised land. True? And if you can't get a grasp of your own destiny, then every situation that comes against you looks like it's ready to bury you. True? Is this helping anyone? But then comes a change of attitude. 
from Paul. He recognizes his own destiny. He said, therefore, I will boast. How do you boast when you're in the middle of a thorn in the flesh? Let's put it in common terms. Pain in the backside. How do you rejoice when you're in the midst of turmoil and tears and pain and suffering? Well, it's because you have a sense of your destiny that it drags you out. Something has to drag you out and up. God's pulling, God puts that seed into your heart so that when deep calls to deep, deep responds. So he pulls you and he says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall. So as God floods you, you rise. Hence, flooding the harbour. As God pours into our grave, well, what looks like a grave, his water floods us and the buoyancy within our spirit rises. Does that make sense? As he floods the grave, so you can't fall in it. He, you rise from out the midst of Baca and you hold on to him and then he becomes your anchor. The very anchor. Oh, I hope someone's getting hold of this this morning. Therefore, I will boast all the more. My friend, it's not easy to boast. And it takes time. But as you know, I came through it. It took time. I grieved. And that grieving, that grieving process takes a long time and, and, and various different time for each individual. But I do know this. The longer you hold it back, the longer it takes. You can't force tears. But you certainly can hold them back. True? You can certainly hold them back. And sometimes we need help. But then to release the tears. But then pride gets in the way. And then privacy gets in the way. And you want to choose the time. You want to choose the place. You want to choose the moment. And that's the human nature of us coming out. And then he says. But I will boast all the more about my weakness. So that Christ's power May rest on me. Wow, what a complete turnaround in Paul's thinking. He said, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not delight in weakness. Because there's something about the human nature that always wants to look strong. Always wants to look in control. Always wants to look their best. Is that, or is that just me? Nobody wants to appear weak. Why? Because we fear that others will take advantage of us. Others will take advantage of us if we appear weak. Others will manipulate our weakness. But that's where grace has to keep you. That's where grace has to keep you. I am weak not by choice. I am weak because of design. I am weak because there are things I can do to strengthen my skill, my talent, my ability. Is that not true? I can do that. But when you get into the emotions, oh, that's different. The external gloss, gloss uh, brochure that I want to, you to read about my life, it wants, to, wants you to see that I'm a stallion. But inside, I'm a dozy mare. Inside, I have a ton, tendency to be a bit of a pony or a donkey. Whatever you, analogy you want to use. But on the, on the glossiness outside, I want to appear like I'm all together. But it only takes two minutes to see that actually he's not all together. Yeah. 
But ministry, and I'll say ministry, use ministry because I'm, I'm in the ministry, and you're in the ministry, by the way. The only difference is I do this every day. You do it in your workplace. You're all in the ministry. Because God has called us. Now, the thing is, is when you're stood in front of people, you can't show people your weaknesses. Pastors don't cry. Well, this one does. And has. Why? Because I've realized it's good. Now, if I do it every week, you're going to be saying, what's wrong with this boy? Get him help. <laughs> True? I can't be crying every five minutes because you're going to think, what's wrong with this boy? Yeah? And you can say, well, he's just showing his heart. Well, you need to sort yourself out. You can't be crying every time you speak to people. Because people don't want to hear that. And people always get a little bit nervous when a bloke cries around them. What do we do? Panic! A man's crying! Snot's coming out of his nose! What are we going to do? But you know what? There's perfectly acceptable times for a man to cry. And sometimes it just comes on you. I know... Speaking the way I do, sometimes I feel that lump and I've got to compose myself because I think anything can happen. And if my iPad screen gets wet, I've got no chance. <laughs> it won't move. So I've got to learn how to control yourself. But you know, when God's in the room, you, hey, you're gone. When God's in the room, you've gone. And this is why we need to, to take hold of this. He said, this is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, hardships, persecution in difficulties for when I'm weak I'm actually strong but you know what you're not you're not strong when you're weak just because because you've read it you're weak you're strong when you're weak because you sense him on your life amen this God will do this this God will do it. He has done it. And I know others could testify of this grace. God has to come to us in our weakness, in our suffering, in our pride, in, in whatever you want to use there. God has to come to us. Paul realized there's no one who suffered like Paul. No apostle uh, uh, was persecuted like Paul. This boy knows. This boy is validated. is approved. He is well justified to speak on the subject of suffering. Yes, him and Christ, these boys knew what they were on about. When they said, you know, that's why. When they talk about weakness, we need to understand what that weakness means. When they talk about the surpassing greatness, we need to understand what it means. Because these boys were on location. This is not a scene out of a movie. This is reality. And you and I go through it and then we parallel our situation with them. And then we look to their words to go and comfort us. Do we not? And then he says this in Acts eleven twenty three, And when he arrived, and when he arrived, talking of Paul, and saw the evidence of grace, of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain. What does that mean? means maintain for a long period. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. You see, the same man is still speaking encouragement to others. The same man. Despite his thorn in the flesh, despite his weakness, despite all those sufferings, he is still giving hope to other people. And next week I'm going to show you in the Valley of Baca, though we've entitled this the Valley of Baca, we've not even actually got to Baca. 
Why? Because I want to show you the power of grace first. And then what grace does when it's in Bacca. What's Bacca? Come next week and find out. (laughs) When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, there must be evidence to this sustaining grace. See, for many of the folks at that time, when I'd lost my mum and dad, they were aware that obviously, when you know when you've lost someone, they're in pain. For two weeks, I couldn't even speak to anyone. Now, that's strange for me, but that's just the way the moment took me. But when my dad passed away, it was different. Why? Because there was a whole new, there was a different chapter involved in there. That's not for now. But all that time, I had my apparent thorn in the flesh. I still had to give hope and encourage to other people. When really what I should have done is sat on the front row and let someone else minister to me. You know, and let's be honest, let's be perfectly honest. Sometimes it's easier to give it that moment than it is to receive. True? It's easier to be the one in control. Because you can control your emotions to some degree. When someone else is speaking, it just hits you. So, he said, when, I, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain. I bet he was. Then we go in our Bible, to Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 21. Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 21. Let's look how long, just for a brief second, how long this sustained period of grace worked for. You know when we said the word to sustain under provocation over a period of time to uphold, to lift. It's not a day, it's not a minute, it's a period of time. Sustaining grace, it keeps you in the race. Sorry, Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 21. He said, for 40 years you sustain them in the desert. Now my mother and father haven't been dead 40 years and he's still sustaining me. True? It's still sustaining me. The moment I think I don't need the sustaining grace, I'm back in the flesh. And I'm back in my own strength. And pride will rise up. And I realize God doesn't want me to remain weak in every area. Hear this. If you build yourself up in the most holy faith, that's you taking responsibility to become strong in certain areas. True? God doesn't want you weak in every area. That's not the Bible. God wants you to have strength in so many areas. But you must recognize those areas where you are weak. Yes? And when you're weak, then you become strong. Now, when you're strong, if you allow yourself, you can become proud. And then you fall. And then you become weak. So then he's got to lift you up to become strong again. For you then potentially to become proud again. And it can be an ever-ending circle. So you have to learn that when you're weak and he makes you strong, be humble. I realize that there is an amazing amount of strength in how I say what I say. And what I write what I write. But if I get proud for one minute, it's gone. I need to remain humble. Must remain humble. So when people give you nice comments, just take them. Don't go, ooh. I'm going to start the tour next week. No, no, no. You've got to learn to be, remain humble. 
Because God can't use you. What he's saying is, Tony, there are some things that have been perfected in you over time. They are now strong. Now we'll celebrate them because I can use them. They become arrows in God's quiver. But there are other things in your weakness. God can't use that as an arrow in your quiver because it's still blunt. It won't fly in the air. So God has to do his work in our hearts. So he says this, I sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations allotting to them, even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sion and uh, the king of Eshbon and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky and you brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. Now just back up a minute. 40 years, 40 years, this grace is able to sustain us indefinite. There is saving grace that gets you into the kingdom, and we looked at that. Now there is sustaining grace. I know, I know I'm in a different place now than I was back then. I know that my days are easier because of this sustaining grace. I don't struggle to preach. I've seen the days when I've spent two weeks or all week trying to get a simple message. I've got, been up at five o'clock in the morning, walking around the park, praying, asking God to give me words. I never, ever, ever, ever have to struggle for a word. Because it's in me. I've learned to sharpen the axe. There's a grace that keeps the word flowing within me. Now what will frighten the pants off me is when the city start coming to listen to what you have to say. Because now judge, judge and jury come. Because they've already got a judgment on you. Well, they're nothing. They've only got so many in that church. He hasn't really got anything to say. So then you could, you could, knowing that, you could project that on them. But I've just got to remain in my strength and in my grace. They're coming. Yes, I'm nervous. Right? For you, you haven't got a clue. But I'm letting you know your pastor's nervous. Why? Because this is a new level of grace that must sustain me. Then the nations come. Then the city's at your door, you can influence the city. Then the nation starts talking to you, then you can influence the nation. I want to say, us, me, I mean you. Because many of you be going there. Believe me, I'll be sending you. So for 40 years, 40 years, their clothes did not wear out. Now that's every husband's prayer that his wife's clothes do not wear out. Is that right, John? It's every husband's prayer that, Lord, please don't let the bag fade. or Don't let the, don't let the light, you know, cause the, the color to discolor in the light. Lord, don't let the heels fall off those shoes. Lord, 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 please, Lord. Don't, not another blouse. Not more makeup. Ladies, you're beautiful as you are. Save the money. Go and get a tan instead. For 40 years, they didn't wear out. Now I'm telling you, that's a, that's a manufacturer's guarantee right there. Hey, not even Samsung give you that, did they? Can you imagine? So there was a physical demonstration of the grace. Physical 
demonstration that the shoes did not wear out. Now, the situation demanded it because there wasn't Walmart, there wasn't Tesco's, there wasn't Selfridges, there wasn't any other shop that you want to go to in the desert. So God, the the, the circumstances demanded that sustaining grace sustained him in a unique way. Don't be thinking, oh, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to name it and claim it. My shoes will never wear out. My wardrobe will never go too small. That's rubbish. What is the context of your life? So he did it in the context. So there was a physical effect. For 40 years, they lacked nothing. God's grace was sufficient to them. They had divine health. Divine health. Zion is a place where none should be ill. Now that takes us time to get a grasp of that and fully lay hold of that. But that's the promise we're going. That's where we're going. We're laying hold of that dimension. And we keep pushing through until we get a breakthrough in that area. Amen. The declaration starts the journey. It doesn't get us there. It just starts the journey. It gets us thinking that's the way we've got to go. So we push in. We keep laying hold of Christ. He's a healer. And we push until we get healing. Until we break through in that victory. Until we get the grace to sustain us. So when the city comes in and people come in, the healings just break out. Why? Because we've learned to tap into the sustaining grace of Zion. So declaration starts the journey. I say to David, next week, I won't be here. I'm going to such and such a place. If he already now has made a journey in his mind, I won't be here. I'm not there. When I tell him that, I'm letting him know I'm making a journey. Declaration. Don't ever think because we declare we're there. It's the start of the journey. Amen. Some of you think because we declared it, it should work. It takes time and process to break through and establish it in our lives. Amen. For 40 years, they walked and their feet did not swell. Hey, Gene, you wouldn't need that buggy of yours. Imagine walking anywhere, any weight, any size. Doesn't matter. The feet did not swell. No, all that sand in the feet didn't irritate them. Amen? The feet never swell. 40 years, they took over and subdued kings and nations. 40 years. They still advanced. They just never left the desert. There was a lot in that desert. There was a lot of things in that desert. Yeah, ladies. For 40 years, their wombs never closed. They kept producing, despite their background. They didn't have a hotel room. They had tents. They had camels. They carried, they were, they were made pregnant. They carried their children and they birthed their children. 40 years. In the most difficult terrains, they still carried and gave birth. Amen? For 40 years, they kept on doing it. Do you know why that was happened? Do you know why? Because God had previously gave them a prophetic promise through Abraham that your seed will be as many as the stars. So the prophetic word was sending them out. He didn't wait 40 years before they started producing. The word was working for them in the desert. Can you see that? The sustaining grace. And let's bring this thing to an end because we don't have time. Romans 5, if you will just go to the last scripture and we'll close up. I never seem to get through what I have, but 
You've got the principle this morning, have you not? Romans 5 verse 2. I'll finish off now where I was last week with you. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Verse 2 of chapter 5 of Romans. Through whom we gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul's saying here, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Last week we said that faith is the doorway leading to grace. Faith, we receive by faith. This message came by faith. Not a faith that was ours, but a faith that was given to us by the Holy Spirit. So faith opened the door for us to receive the saving grace. Everybody say saving grace. Saving grace. That's what, got she, that's what gets you saved. Right. That's what gets you into the kingdom. But then there is a grace needed for the journey. In your destiny. We are using that and we're calling it sustaining grace. It keeps you over your entire lifetime. Once you can enter into it. Okay. Grace then is the doorway leading to hope. As you enter into the grace, you realize that for the hope, Paul constantly refers to the hope. Without hope, you have no, you can't live without hope. And then hope is the doorway that leads to the glory of God. And it's all found in this verse. Through whom we gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand and we rejoice, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Those dimensions are there in that one verse. Faith opens the door for grace. Grace opens the door to hope. Hope opens the door to the glory of God. When you have, when you have the sustainable grace upon your life, and here we will finish. When we have the sustainable grace upon our life, we see the glory of God. We see and we marvel at the glory of God. How did you get me from here to here? I look up and I see the glory of God shone over my life. You see, the glory of God, when Mary was born, the angels sang and heaven opened up and bright light shone. Guess what? When I went through my situation, I didn't see the angels in open shore. I didn't see the sky part. I didn't hear angels singing in a choir of celestial voices. I didn't hear anything. I just knew inside my heart. The glory of God was upon my life. Amen. God doesn't bring the DVD. God just deals with you. Amen. So when you go through. And you, and you, go, you pass through some stuff. And that faith. And that hope. And that strength is on you. And that sustainable grace is upon your life. When you realize it. When you actually come to that place and you think, how have I got here? Look up and you'll see the glory of God is on you. And then Isaiah's words come to us. Arise, shine. For your light has come. For the glory of the Lord rises upon you. But you've got to see that light shine. You've got to realize and enter in and embrace that light. And sometimes it's only as you look back. It's as you look back, you see what God has done. But God was in front of you all the time. God was at the back of you. God was above you. God was underneath you. God's everywhere. That's the kind of God we serve, my friends. Let's stand to our feet, if we will. This is the kind of God that I serve. So when we sing, all of the sons cry out.
to be, you know, waiting for things to be discovered. My heart cries out, here we are. Here we are. Don't let the earth, don't let the earth look for sons and daughters. Let the sons and daughters cry out. Here we are. Here we are. A generation doesn't have to keep looking for it. We just rise. I'm looking right now in a church of sons and daughters. But the world's looking for us. They're saying, where are the sons and daughters? Who are the sons and daughters and where are the sons and daughters? And the scriptures say, who are the sons and daughters? Those who obey my will. They are the true sons and daughters. So those who do the will of our father, they are the sons. You are the daughters. And maybe the whole concept of being a son and a daughter brings up a lot of memories for you based on how you were raised personally. But you know what? It doesn't change the fact that God is your father. And he still wants you to be, he still wants you to realize that he is your father. And he wants you to, he wants to, he rises above the earthly mess you had so he can show you a perfect picture. You're still, you're still, listen girls and lads, you're still, girls and lads, ladies and gentlemen, you're still here on the earth. You got here. I wasn't pretty, but you're here. And now you're here. Let your father, your heavenly father show you why you're here. Jesus was born in a stable. Wasn't the premier in? It was a stable. Hardly a beautiful, luxurious location to be born. But he was here. He got here. And now he's called Emmanuel, God with us. Let's raise our hands. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.